sweet. I feel like I should have a glow stick. All right, so <clears throat> you want to be here for that, and it's going to be awesome, and, and we'll hope you'll be there. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 10. Uh, it says this, it says, finally, <laughs> which is perfect for the last sermon in this series. So <clears throat> if you'll remember that we've been walking through this book of Ephesians, and the reason that we've covered so much material in such a short amount of time is because I wanted you to get a grasp of the entire book of Ephesians. That, and especially like if you're new to Bible study, if you're new to church, which most of our people at 1122 are, that you would be able, <clears throat> that you would be able to grasp the book of Ephesians and answer almost every kind of spiritual question that anybody would ever ask you because the first half of Ephesians is just the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. That Paul presents the gospel in a f- couple of different avenues. Remember chapter one, all you've got to remember is that you were chosen because God loves you. That's it. That's all you've got to remember. That's all of chapter one, that you were chosen because God loves you. And then chapter two is this, that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. That's it. So it's grace. And then the second half of, half of chapter two is this, is that it's peace, that, that Christ came to those who were near and far to make peace between him and and us. And so chapter two is just grace and peace. And then, and then chapter three is just that the gospel is going to be presented to this world through the church. That's it. That's God's plan A to get the gospel everywhere that it's going to go. It's through the church. So the first half of the book of Ephesians is the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. That you're chosen because he loves you and that it's about grace and peace. That's it. And then in chapter four, verse one, um, he shifts gears and said, so now you got the gospel. Now you understand the gospel. Now, in chapter 4, verse 1, here are the implications of the gospel. That, that I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling in which he has called you. And what he's called you to is to surrender your life to the lordship of Christ. And if you do that, <clears throat> when Jesus lives on the inside of you, it transforms how we walk or how we live. And so all the rest of the book of Ephesians, and it sounds like it's this huge thing. It's just, that's all of Ephesians right there, okay? That's the whole thing, okay? And so all the rest, the the... the Chapter 4, 5, and 6 is just here's what your life looks like, not in order that God loves you, but because you understand that he does love you, that he chose you, that it's by grace that you have been saved, that you've surrendered your life to Christ. When that happens, now here's how you walk. And we talked about um, that one of the things, the first thing he commands us is that we be united together as a church, and we talked about covenant membership. And then we talked about how when Jesus lives in you, that it transforms the way that we live and, and, and we talked about that it just, this is what it looks like. It changes the way we talk, changes the way we work, changes the way we treat one another, all of those things. And then you get into chapter 5, verse 21, where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then we spent a couple of weeks on the primary relationships in our lives and how Christ affects that. That it's not about activity, but it's about identity in Christ. And when your identity is in Christ, then it affects every one of our relationships. And the Three big buckets are, it affects our marriages, that there's mutual submission there. It affects our parent-child relationships, and it affects our work relationships, that it affects every single relationship that we have. So again, the first half of the book is the gospel, and the second half of the book are the implications of the gospel, That that, that so many times Christianity is preached about activity. Like, here's a list of do's and don'ts, and, and you've got to obey so that you will be accepted. And that's actually the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is, if your identity is in Christ, that you have been accepted, therefore we obey. And so, and so once you get that straight, then you can understand, this is the gospel, and here are the implications of the gospel. And so, when he says, finally, what he's really saying here is, so remember back in chapter 4, verse 1, what I've been talking about. That, that we're to live a life worthy of the calling of which we've been called. And he goes through all those practical implications of the gospel in our lives. And then he gets here to verse 10. Finally, be strong, and here it is again, <clears throat> in the Lord. Again, it's about identity, our identity in Christ, not our religious activity. So he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, why is he saying this? Because you remember what we just finished talking about. We just finished talking about marriages. We just finished talking about um, raising kids. And we just finished talking about the relationship between you and your employer or employees. And so he says, finally, as you live out your everyday life, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Why? Because marriage and work and home, it's going to be tough. I mean, can I get an amen, right? Like, it's really going to be tough. It's not... (coughs) 
as much as our baptism videos look like, um, if you just come to Jesus, then right after that, the rest of your world is just cotton candy and candy canes. And it's all awesome until you just skip off to heaven with Jesus. But that's just not how it goes. That in this life, I mean, Jesus said this, in this world, you will face troubles of many kinds. That was Jesus talking. He said that. So this prosperity gospel that gets preached, like if you'll just have enough faith, then God will work out all the details for you. That, that is just the biggest lie for the pit of hell. You know how you know? It didn't work out that way for Jesus, and he had the most faith of anybody. Why? Because he is God, right? And he put all of his trust and faith in his Father, not my will but yours be done. And what happened to him? They nailed him to a cross. Didn't go well, okay? So if Jesus was alive today walking around, we wouldn't put his testimony video on some of the uh, Christian television because we didn't like the ending. It doesn't end that awesome. You understand? So what he says here is, so when you face these troubles of many kind, and it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough at work. It's going to be tough at home. It's going to be tough with all the relationships you have. Then be strong in the Lord. You've got to find your identity in Christ and, and in the strength of his might, not your might, but in the strength of his might. And now, if you've been around um, Bible study for a while, the parts that we're going to get into now are going to be familiar to you. And, um, but I want you to try to hear it as if you've never heard it before. Verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God. And what he's going to do, he's going to talk about spiritual warfare. Now, let me just, for, for those of you um, that are new to church and are like, spiritual warfare, this sounds kind of creepy. Okay. Just relax a little bit. And for those of you that are a little overzealous for um, spiritual warfare, just you calm down mostly, okay? So I, I know this sounds ridiculous, but don't over-spiritualize spiritual warfare, okay? Don't over-spiritualize spiritual warfare because what is he talking about? Is he talking about exorcisms and casting out demons and hedges of protection? I don't even really know what that means, but every time people pray for me, that's what they pray for. I just pray a hedge of protection. Thanks, all right? I think I'm good, but... Here's what, you know what he's talking about here? Putting on the full armor? Look at it in context. You know what he's talking about? Your marriage, your family, and when you go to work. That's what he's talking about, okay? So he's just talking about ordinary, average, everyday life. <clears throat> and so what, what Paul is going to do here is that every single day in Ephesus, people saw these Roman soldiers, and they, they were dressed for battle. I mean, they had on their whole Roman army. And so essentially what he's going to do is he's going to take something common, ordinary, everyday, like, you know, the, the dress of the soldiers, and he's going to use that as an analogy to try to explain the uncommon, hard-to-get, hard-to-understand spiritual warfare. So he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's right. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That means when things are coming against you, that God has given you everything you need to accomplish everything that he has called you to do. Now, he says to stand against the devil. This is very important. There's only two places in the Bible that I can find where he says to run away. He says to flee sexual immorality and to flee the love of money. Okay? Those are the only two things to flee in your life. So, fellas, you know what that means? If you see the devil tonight, stand firm with the whole armor of God face to face with him and I'm going to tell you how to whoop him in just a second but when it comes to monies and honeys you get out of the town okay that's what you do just turn and run <clears throat> so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil verse 12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood so now he's going to shift gears a little bit and he's going to use he's going to kind of intermix these two metaphors so you know Paul didn't use a lot of um Real feminine metaphors, and neither do I, okay? And I've gotten a couple emails about, how come all your metaphors are about dude stuff? Um, hello? You know, I'm a dude, so I'm not going to do a lot of, like, God's like a ballerina. If you need that, then I'm not your guy, okay? So, <clears throat> so also, <clears throat> during this time, everybody knew what wrestling was, right? I mean, they'd look back at the Olympics, and, and, and they would see wrestling, and so they understood the sport of wrestling, and, and, you know, like when you think Olympics, at least the first thing I think of is wrestling. So when they tried to kick wrestling out of the Olympics, I thought, how in the heck can you even have Olympics without wrestling? That's ridiculous. And how could you have baton twirling and ribbon dancing and not have wrestling? But anyway, they, they, there was an uproar. They got it back in. So he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now again, before you start freaking out, all right, a few things here. One, again, Paul's just using common, ordinary, everyday things that people have experienced, like wrestling and soldiers, to explain some very hard-to-understand concepts like spiritual warfare. Secondly, is that, see, you thought the problems in your life were your wife, your kids, and your boss. I mean, you did. And in fact, any time that we have a counseling session, which we've had fewer and fewer with me lately, thank you. And it's not awesome if you come see me, I promise, okay? So what, typically what people do, I've very rarely had people walk in and said, you know what, I've got this, I've been wrestling with the principalities of darkness. No, typically you come in and be like, okay, my wife, and then fill in the blank, or my kids are the problem, or my boss, it, it typically goes this way. And we think, you know, a lot of times I think you're the problem. And you think, I'm the problem. And so what Paul was saying here is, no, it's much bigger than that. Is that, that, that the, the trouble that comes our way, it's not even about the people in your life, but it's much, much bigger, much bigger than that. That, <clears throat> that you and I have a spiritual enemy that wants to kill us and steal from us and destroy us. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. And he's the father of lies, and he's been at his job for a long, long, long time. And he, he know, man, he's got all kind of schemes, all kind of lures, all kind of deceptions. And all he wants to do is to just take you away from Christ. That's all he wants to do. He wants to kill you. He wants to kill you. And he wants to destroy you. And he wants to steal all of your hopes and dreams. And if you just think for a second, if you were the devil... Okay, if you were the devil, how would you attack you? And then I bet you'll go, oh, wow, well, that makes a lot of sense. No wonder I continue to struggle in these areas because I'm not wrestling against like these people in my life. That's not even the deal here. But there's there's a greater force behind that, the enemy, and he's coming after me and he's using some of these people. Now, let me just warn you about when you talk about spiritual warfare. There's, if you go in either one of two extremes, I think it's bad. I just do. The one extreme, and I really don't even know which one's worse. Uh, The one extreme is the kind of person that says, okay, are you being serious? I mean, we're really talking about the devil and demons right now. I mean, aren't we educated beyond that? I mean, don't we have a um, scientific reason why everything exists? And you've got to be kidding that in the 21st century, we're going to talk about the devil and demons. All right, so if you just totally discount the supernatural all together, that's very, very dangerous. And I would say to that person, so how do you explain the atrocities of this world? Just poor choices of humans? You, would, you really explain that? You, you explain human sex trafficking and, and with, just, with just poor choices? You don't think there's evil behind that? You don't look at something like the Holocaust where millions of people lost their lives over just ridiculousness. And you don't look at that and say, no, 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 no. That's not just poor choices. That's pure evil. You don't look at things like child abuse and go, yeah, that's more than just poor parenting. That is pure evil. And so that's, that's one extreme that you'll go to and say, no, no, no. Everything is just explained in the natural. The other extreme, maybe just as dangerous, where you see a demon behind everything. Okay, like you're just trying to get your hair ready for the night and you're like, oh, I need an exorcism to get the hair out. No, 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 you just got bad hair. I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's a genetic issue or over fried or you've done too many color alterations. I don't know, but it might not be the devil. Or some of you are like, yeah, the devil's attacking me. And my response to you sometimes is, I don't even think he needs to. I think think your self-destruct button is working out great. And he's just kind of like, whew, don't have to worry about that one anymore. They're killing, stealing, and destroying themselves. And so there might not be a demon behind every corner. So you don't obsess over it, nor do you ignore it. But there is, <clears throat> there is um, and this forces of evil in realms that we cannot see or even understand. And so he says, verse 13, Therefore, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. In other words... You will be attacked, okay? You will be attacked. 
that, that if, you're, if things are going great now, praise God for that, okay? Praise God. And, and you don't have to mope around about it. You could just be excited that God is blessing you like crazy. I mean, if the worst thing that I have to deal with right now is a little head cold for a couple of days, no problem. In fact, I've gotten all these, you know, people have reached out and be like, oh, I hear you're not feeling great. We're praying for your health. And I think, you know what, I appreciate you praying for my health, so I'll feel better. That's fine. But all I can think about is I get to walk in here tonight to the air-conditioned Walmart in front of the greatest church on earth, preach the gospel to a group of people that, like, cheers me on and Facebooks me that, hey, we're rooting for you. This might not be an attack from the enemy. You know what I mean? But, <clears throat> but those brothers and sisters that this weekend, when they preach the gospel around the world, literally fear for their lives. They fear that somebody might kick down the door and come in and get them or put a gun to their head and say, deny Jesus or die. That, that's a whole different level of attack than just something that some, uh, a mixture of NyQuil and Red Bull can cure. You know what I'm saying? So, but you will, we will face, we will face trouble. And so, God has made available to you everything that you need to accomplish everything that he's called you to do. So when you face trouble, <clears throat> actually before you face trouble, and, and this is important, um, you know, 100 years ago when I played football, we did not wait to halftime to put our football pads on, Right? You put the pads on before the game begins. Because if you wait till the whistle blows, hey, what's happening here? And guys just start running at you and be like, hold on, I've got to get dressed. It is over for you, okay? That you've got to be prepared before the battle begins. And so, I mean, much like a soldier going into war, you don't wait till the bullets fly to start loading up your gun and putting on your helmet and your Kevlar. That you put those things on anticipating that there is a battle. And so... These things <clears throat> that we are to do, those of us who our identity is in Christ, we are to do before, before the enemy begins to attack. And here's what we do. Verse 14. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, what he's going to do <clears throat> is the Apostle Paul is going to describe um, kind of the armor pieces that a Roman soldier would have. And he's using this as an analogy to the Christian that here's what you do to stand firm against the enemy and his evil schemes against you because they're coming, so be ready. And he starts with the belt, which is great, the belt of truth. Now, here's the first thing. The belt was, it's like the centerpiece. And on a Roman soldier, it held everything together. And if you take the belt off, I mean, you know, I don't know if you fought a lot, but, you know, I fought a lot. But, and I'll just tell you, like, the important thing about your belt, it keeps your pants on, Okay. And remember back in Acts, we learned that if you get your pants beat off, that's a bad beating. Remember? They left naked and wounded. So I'm just telling you. It's also a good way to avoid a fight. If you're about to get in a fight, just be like, hold on one second. You just take your britches off. People are like, all right, I'm good. I think I'm, you won. Okay. So, <clears throat> so this is like the centerpiece. Now, <clears throat> the thing is, though, is that we think of truth as a concept. But in, in the scriptures, truth is not a concept. Truth is not a what? Truth is a who. Because Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So when Paul's saying here to put on the belt of truth, essentially what he's saying is you center your life around Jesus. That truth is a who, it's not a concept. And, and that you've fastened on the belt of truth. So that also means that <clears throat> when you've got a belt that fits, you don't have to hold on to it anymore. It holds on to you. And that's true about the gospel and your salvation. That from that moment that you surrendered your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, then you have fastened on truth. You've fastened on Jesus. And you don't have to worry about um, losing your salvation. You know why? Because, because it's not about um, you holding on to Jesus anymore. It's about him holding on to you. And he said very clearly that nothing could snatch you from his hand that nothing could snatch you from his hand. And so the truth, the truth is Jesus. <clears throat> and it's interesting because that's where Paul starts, and the devil is known as the father of lies. He's the father of lies. And that his number one attack in our lives is deception. His number one attack in our lives is deception. And so even if you'll look all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when, he, when, when the serpent goes to tempt Eve... The first thing he says to her is this. Did God really say to you? And then he misquotes. And he doesn't even misquote it by much. He misquotes God's word to Adam. 
And he said, did God really say that you can't touch it or you'll die? Well, that's not exactly what it said. It was close. And so oftentimes what the enemy will do is he'll take something that sounds almost right, that feels really good, that kind of makes your heart beat like, oh, yeah, well, you know, my heart feels good about this, so it must be right. And he will take something that's close to the truth and then he'll twist it just enough to be a deceiver. It's one of his primary tactics. And so um, a lot of politicians love to quote um, uh, John 8.32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, but they love to leave out uh, John 8.31. That's an if statement. In John 8.31, it says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And again, to know the truth is not to know like a concept or to know facts about something, but it means to know Jesus. And so the first thing that you do when you put on the belt of truth is that it starts by centering your life around Jesus, by surrendering your life to the lordship of Jesus. <clears throat> and again, we've said this a hundred million times, that it's, 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 not, it, not, it's not until you change your perspective that you can change your practices. And when you get those two things mixed up, it's why the Christian life can be so frustrating because you're not actually living the Christian life. You're living like a, a religious, external kind of activity life that is, isn't it just exhausting? If you've been down that road before, isn't it most, the most exhausting thing you've ever done to try to keep up with all the man-made rules and you just find yourself going, man, I was breaking all this list of rules and I didn't even, I didn't even know about those rules because I was trying to obey these rules and it's just frustrating and there's no life there. It's because you haven't, you haven't fastened on the belt of truth. You haven't centered your life around Jesus. You've just tried to act like a soldier without getting the centerpiece right. So the first thing is that you fasten on the belt of truth. And then he's going to go to the second thing. And <clears throat> having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I don't know if you're supposed to have a favorite one, but this is my favorite one. Because it, this is this beautiful image of, of what theologians call imputed righteousness, okay? You should jot that down, imputed righteousness. Next time you're at a little dinner, dinner party, you can sound super spiritual, you know. How are you doing today? Well, I'm holy and blameless because of, this, of the imputed righteousness of Christ. And people are like, wow, you're really spiritual. See, it'd be great. So here's what it means. We've talked about it a, a million times. Second Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, that God made him who is without sin to be sin for us, and here's the imputed righteousness part, that we would be made the righteousness of God. That when you, when you put on the belt of truth, when you surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, then God takes the righteousness that Jesus is. He lived a perfect, sinless life, but he died a sinner's death. And when you surrender your life to him and say, Jesus, you're my Lord and I'm not Lord of my life anymore, then he puts his righteousness on you. So that when, G when, when God looks at you, I mean the jacked up you and me, you know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of his son. Just like if you were to put on a breastplate of righteousness. And again, I've told you this a hundred times, and I'll tell you a hundred more. That if I were to put on the breastplate of righteousness, what you would see were perfect pecs and abs, because that's how they made breastplates. And who could blame them, right? I mean, if you're going to make your own armor, wouldn't you make it look awesome? And don't lie to me, I know that you would, okay? <clears throat> and so when you see that, regardless of the kind of jiggle that's going on underneath the breastplate, from the outside, what God sees is he sees this perfection that has been put on you. For every person that has surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ, then you are wearing or you have put on the righteousness of Christ. And not only is it covering, but it's also conforming. And it doesn't conform to you, but you begin to conform to it the longer you wear that breastplate of righteousness. And when you surrender your life to Christ, you are made righteous positionally. And then in the sanctifying process, when the, as the Holy Spirit just begins to churn out those things in your life that don't look like Jesus at all, and just chip away those things in you that don't look like Jesus at all, then you look more and more and more and more like Jesus. And so that's what it means, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15. <clears throat> And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, some people will say when you look at the, um, the, the 
armor of God that, that the only offensive weapon is the sword. I, I would disagree there because the shoes are like an offensive weapon. It is your feet that actually help you to march forward. And so what he's saying here is that <clears throat> when you're in Christ, when you put on the full armor of God, that you have put on this readiness given by the gospel of peace. In other words, you are ready to share the good news as you're on the go in your life. I mean, the Bible says, blessed are the feet of those that bring good news. And when Christ has transformed your life from the inside out, you can't wait to tell people about it. I mean, in in our culture, you know, you can't wait to tell people if you saw a good movie, if you went to a good restaurant, you know, if, if you went to the Everbank Field, and you're like, oh, I got in the pool, and it was awesome. Whatever it is, like, we love to share good news. <clears throat> and so a part of putting on the full armor of God is, ha- is having that readiness to share the gospel. And uh, as I was thinking about this today, especially when I wasn't feeling that good, it reminded me of a, several years ago when we were at Beach, and we were uh, a, a couple of services at that point, um, and, I, and I had a cold then, too. <clears throat> and somebody said, hey, you should go see a doctor. And I'd never go to the doctor, but I said, okay, I'll go. And I go to the doctor, and they, like, prescribe cold medicine. I was like, okay, so I got it. And it was right before a 722 service, and I couldn't stop coughing. I thought, well, I'll just take this cold medicine. And I didn't, you know, I don't, like, measure it out at my house either. I just take some, you know. And because uh, usually it's just NyQuil. And let's just say I have a really high tolerance for NyQuil. So I can just kind of, a couple chugs, and I'm good. Well, apparently, <clears throat> this wasn't like, you know, granddad's cold medicine. This had codeine in it or something. And so you're supposed to take like a little, I don't know which one's smaller, tea or tablespoon, but a small spoon, I don't know. Um, and so I just took like, you know, a couple chugs of this prescription strength cold medicine and set it down. And in minutes, I mean really minutes, I just started thinking, oh man, I feel terrible. Is it getting hot? And I started sweating, you know. And then I went and looked in the mirror and all my color, I don't have a lot of color to begin with, but a lot of it, it just was gone. And then I thought, oh my gosh, I'm hammered. I mean, I am hammered. <clears throat> Literally, at this point, I'm in a bathroom. Carrie Williams was producing our services back then. And Ben is on stage singing. And, and I just feel like i got to puke, but I can't. And I just thought, if you've had that feeling, don't even lie to me. You stand there, you're over the toilet, and you're, you're spitting. Why am I spitting so much? What is with the spitting, right? And I just thought, if this will just come on, I'll be fine, and I can just go preach the word. And uh, so she comes and checks on me on one song, and I'm like, I, I haven't puked yet, so just come back after the next song. She comes back after the next song, I go, and I still, it's still in there. She comes back on the third song, and I'm hugging. I'm not, I haven't puked, but I'm hugging it, because it felt so, so just cold on your face. <clears throat> and I said, I can't go. I can't do it. And you know what Carrie Williams said? She just looked at me. I got this. Just like that, I got this. Now, how many of you in this room right now, if I were to just say, I don't don't think I can finish, who wants to finish up the sermon? Uh, See, when we're in our staff meeting, okay, let me tell you how unspiritual you are, we are. I'm in staff meeting, and I go, who wants to close in prayer? And everybody on staff is like, oh, don't look at me, don't make eye contact. (laughs) Oh, he's going to get me, Right? <clears throat> Isn't that how most of us are? I mean, are your, are your feet fitted in the readiness to share the gospel of peace? Or are you thinking, I hope they don't ask me any questions ever. And so Carrie, Carrie in that moment, right there, I got this. Went straight up on stage. The, the ironic thing is, though, she had on no shoes when she was preaching. I don't know why, but she didn't preach in shoes. But here's the cool thing. It was a Thursday night service. I had not intended on giving a salvation invitation that night. And she did. And I think like six people surrendered their life to Christ that night. And then because she did that on Thursday, I had to do it on Sunday. And some more people got saved that weekend. Right? So what about you? Are you ready? I mean, are you ready to share the good news? Now, Here's, the, here's partly how we've designed this church, is that this is a movement for all people. So you know what we have in mind every, or I have in mind, Ben has in mind, every single weekend that we do services here at the Church of 1122? We are believing and we're hoping and we're praying every single weekend that you have been ready. And maybe you didn't have all the words and maybe you couldn't fully explain substitutionary atonement or imputed righteousness or any of that stuff. 
But what you could share is this, that, hey, my life used to be like this, and then I met Jesus, and I believe he is who he says he is, and so I surrendered my life to him. And I'm not trying to tell you what to believe, but I tell you what, why don't you come with me to the church of 1122, and you can just check it out for yourself and make up your own mind. that's that's, That's the readiness to share the good news. That even if you don't feel like you're, if you're fully equipped, I, I will say this, you are fully equipped. If you know Jesus, you are fully equipped to do everything that he has called and commanded you to do. And a lot of churches make a big deal about the Great Commission, you know, go and make disciples of all nations. That sounds like, holy moly, how do I do that? I'm a third grade teacher. I don't know how to go. You know what? He goes on to tell you how. He says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So you know what it means? It just means, why don't you just tell people what Jesus has taught you? That's it. That's it. That you can just tell them the good news that you personally have experienced. And so, I'm going to tell you, you know, I'm going to be in Uganda for a week. When I'm in, when I'm in different countries, I just go like, I'm like the most hardcore evangelist ever. I, I, I mean, even, because I'm only there for a few days. So I just walk up, especially in like Africa, okay? If I walk up to you in Africa, it's pretty obvious why I'm there, right? Nobody's like, oh, you're just hanging out here in Masaka to see all the beautiful sights. No, no. Everybody knows why you're there, right? They know you're a missionary. And so I just walk up and go, hi, I'm a pastor from America. Um, When you die, are you going to go to heaven or hell? Are you a Christian or not a Christian? And people, you'd be amazed at how they just talk to me. Now, I'd never do that here because it's just a little bit different. You know, you might get stabbed. But, <clears throat> but I try not to waste opportunities. I mean, when I'm on a plane, I look at the person next to me and I say, hey, what do you do for a living? And they tell me, and then they have to ask, right? They have to ask. They have to. And then they say, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. So what kind of pastor would I be if I didn't tell you about Jesus now, right? And I just go. And then if they go, I don't want to talk about it, I go, that's fine. I didn't really want to either. I can go to sleep now with peace because I know that God's not wooing you unto himself here. Good night. And then I'm out. See how that works? <clears throat> and I'm not even telling you to do it the way I do it or the way, however, it don't matter. It doesn't matter. Some of the most unlikely people are evangelists. They, but, but, the, but the thing is, is that when you put on the full armor of God, that you're just ready, that you're just ready to share the good news, not why you're right and they're wrong or not how to explain creation in six days or any of that stuff, I don't know. It's just to simply talk about the gospel of peace, the peace that Christ has made with you in you. Verse 16, and in all circumstances, that means good circumstances and bad circumstances. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So what Paul's saying here again is that the flames are coming. Okay, the flaming darts are coming. And <clears throat> maybe you've heard this before, but he's describing a Roman soldier, and a Roman soldier's shield was created in such a way that it was meant to be linked to his brothers next to him. Have you seen 300? Remember 300? Girls don't act like you haven't seen it. You've seen it over and over and over. Okay, so the, those guys, they would link their shields together And as one unit, they would advance and they would move forward. I I really believe the reason why he says, he uses of all things for for a shield, he talks about faith, is that, and I know this sounds a little bit sacrilegious, so you've got to just hang in here with me, is that sometimes that your own faith isn't enough to get you through the situations that you're going to be in. I mean, it's just not. And let me tell you why. Because it wasn't meant to be. You weren't meant to fight this battle alone. That, 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 and, and your faith is a lot like a shield. It's going to get beaten and bruised and banged up. I mean, if somebody, if a warrior walked up to you with a perfectly pristine shield, what would you think? You've never been in a fight. You're not really a warrior. This must be Halloween. That's a costume. But if a warrior walked up to you with just, I mean, chunks taken out of his shield, And it wasn't a pretty shield, but it was beaten and banged up and kind of barely hanging on. You would think, now that's a warrior. And I'm telling you, in this world, you will face troubles of many kinds. And there will be times that you're going to go through stuff and you cannot make it alone. That your own faith will not feel like it's enough to hold you up. 
And so in this, in this kind of warrior mentality, you know what you have to do? You got to lean over to your brothers and your sisters on your right and your left and say, I don't think I can stand up any longer. And what they're saying to you is, that's okay, bro, because we got your shield. We're linked up shield to shield to your left and to your right that I've got you. In another book, Paul would say it this way, bear one another's burdens. But that's what we as Christians are supposed to do. This idea that I love Jesus and he loves me and just me and him are one big happy family, that's a load of, that's scubulon. That is not the truth. That we, <coughs> we were intended to do this thing together. And, and then here's the thing. So we got this thing back there called the Connect Center, okay? Here's why. That you need to get your shield of faith connected and linked up to the brothers and sisters on your right and left before the arrows start flying. Now, if, if, if the war's on and you're about to go down now and then you raise your hand and say, I need help from the brothers and sisters, we will rush to your aid as quick as we can. But I'm telling you, sometimes it's too late. It's really hard to be there for you then. So it's why we make such a big deal. out of Are, are, are you in a disciple group? You, you need to. And some of you think, well, I don't really need a disciple group. I'm fine. Okay, guess what? There's a disciple group that needs you. Maybe you are super Christian. We have some of those in this church. They're awesome. So maybe, <clears throat> maybe you've been through all the trials, and you've come out on the other side, and your faith is stronger than ever, and it's got some big battle wounds in it. Maybe you need to get over yourself and get in a disciple group, not even for your own self, but for the other people in the battle here, because we need you. We need you to step in to, so that you can get to know a young couple whose marriage is falling apart. And yours used to be, but by the grace of God, you got it back together somehow because you begin to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And you can say, okay, 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 here, link your shield to mine and I got you. And I don't even know if I can fix you, but here's what I promise you, you don't have to do it alone. You, please, please, please don't wait. I get too many emails and you waited too long. You say, hey, my life's falling apart. I need help. I go, great. Who's your disciple group leader? Well, I've been meaning to. Come on, man. You know how easy we made it, literally? You just walk in that room. You know why I did it that way? So it would be on you and not me. Because in every other church I've been to, we always tried to coordinate, trying to fit you into the right disciple group. It's like herding butterflies. Like, come on. And then if you made any aggressive move, they all left. You're like, crap. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> The other option is you get on a, you serve on, a, on, on our serve staff, all right? And you get connected there in such a way that people can get your back. And let me just newsflash, this weekend we'll have over 5,000 people. I can't get everybody's back, okay? I can't respond to every Facebook message. I can't respond to every, I can't even respond to all the texts now. How ridiculous is that? I just can't. And I shouldn't. I shouldn't. If you need me for your faith, then you got your eyes on the wrong thing. It's about getting your eyes on Jesus and not me. And so you got to be connected. I mean, arm in arm with brothers and sisters that are willing to walk with you through whatever, even if it's a self-inflicted wound, right? Even if you're, even if you're like, hey, the devil's throwing these fiery darts. You're like, actually, you're stabbing yourself in your own leg with this dart, but that's okay. Just connect with me. And let me just say this, because I know... We literally will have tens of thousands of people listening to this message online. So everybody in the room, you guys are awesome. Hold on one second. Thanks for being here. If you're listening online, listening online is not enough. It can only be a supplement to you being plugged in. I don't know where to look right now. To you to be plugged in to your local church. So it is not a compliment to me that you used to live here, then you moved there, and you can't find a church like ours. Well, get over yourself and get plugged in with some brothers and sisters. Listening to me on podcast is not enough, all right? Nothing like a condemning clap to our online audience, thanks. <clears throat> and here's what I would say too, man. When it gets really tough, whatever you do, don't drop the shield of faith. Don't drop it. It'll only get worse. In John chapter 6... Thousands of people are showing up to follow Jesus. The disciples are stoked because it's finally working and they feel like they've made the right career move. And then Jesus gives this really hard teaching. 
he's talking about communion, but, he's, but he doesn't explain it very well. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And so everybody's like, well, okay, well, I guess I'm out. I'm not going to be in this kind of club. That's weird. <clears throat> so it goes from thousands to a dozen. It's like only the front row is left. That's it. And they're like, well, where are we going to go? We're on the front row. All right. And so then he looks at Peter, who, remember, he made him the pope, so it's kind of a big deal. Peter's the boss. And he says to Peter, you're not going to leave too, are you? That's what he says. And Peter's response has been one of the key responses in John chapter 6 that has helped me get through some of the times in my life where my shield of faith was super banged up. I mean super banged up. When stuff didn't make sense, when I couldn't understand why God wasn't answering my prayers because I'd already figured out how if he'd say yes to my prayer, it would be better for him and the kingdom. I mean, seriously, he didn't even have to try that hard. It's not like the lights in heaven were going to dim when he answered this one. He could just do it no problem, okay? And so in those moments where you're like, why, God, why not? And he looks at Peter and he says, you're not going to leave too, are you? Because Peter's confused. He doesn't know if he believes everything that Jesus is saying. He has doubts. Any of you have doubts? Any of you have questions about you don't understand what the Bible means with this, that, and the other? Guess what? You make a great disciple. And Peter's answer is this. Where shall we go? Because you're the only one offering eternal life. So in other words, when you got your shield of faith up and it's starting to get banged up and just not looking very good anymore, the worst thing you can do is try to lay it down. Because then guess what? The arrows hit. They hit you. And you know what I've seen 100 million times in the last 21 years of ministry? is the people that decide to put their shield down and walk away from Jesus. To walk away from Jesus, you've got to walk to something. And they try to make something else the Lord of their life. And what I've seen over and over and over is that when they do come back, because they always come back. Because if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you just can't get away. No matter how hard you run and try and drink and drug, whatever, you just can't. The only thing is when you come back and try to pick your shield back up, you just got scars. That's the only difference. You got all these scars. And so if you are in some trials where it just doesn't make sense to you, I would tell you this, you're in the right place. This is a movement for all people, all kind of people. No matter how jacked up your struggles are, and no matter how unique you think they are, they're really not. They're really not. And so, a part of putting on the whole armor of God is this is not an individual war. That this is you and me and the people next to you and the people in your disciple group and people on your serve staff team that are linking together. And at certain times, you'll help hold up their shield and then there will be other times where they help hold up yours. And so, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Verse 17. <clears throat> and take the helmet of salvation. This is like the most important thing. And, uh, and it's, the great thing here is just like your salvation, your salvation is irrevocable. I hope you know that. You can't lose your salvation. It's not like uh, at one service here, you said, you know what, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. And God says, congratulations, I've saved you. And then three months later, you do something dumb. And he's like, oh, never mind. I didn't know you were going to do that. Give it back. No, that's not how it works. And so <clears throat> the reason I think he uses the head is because it's like the only thing you can't transplant, right? Joe, you can live with somebody else's heart, somebody else's lungs, somebody else's all kind of art, I mean, all kind of stuff, right? You can get prosthetics or whatever, but you can't transplant your head. You just can't. I know some of you wish you could, like for your kids and stuff, but you can't. You can't. And so in the same way, that salvation is yours and it's irrevocable. He says, so take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which means this, that then you take up the Bible which is the sword of the Spirit. So when Jesus was tempted in the desert, three times the enemy comes at him with three different temptations. And he responds the same way every time. You've heard me talk about this often. And he, Jesus would respond, it is written. So to take up the sword of the Spirit, I'm telling you, you need some it is written in your life to fight back against the enemy. So when I hear the whispers of the enemy telling me I don't have what it takes, then, then I just remind him that therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he can just shut up. When he reminds, I know this is hokey, but it helps me, that when he reminds me of my past, I just remind him of his future, and it feels better. It just feels better. And so whatever he begins to attack you with, you've got to have some, you've got to have some it is 
written. <clears throat> and let me just tell you this. God has given us this unbelievable gift. It's called BibleGateway.com. It's part of its common grace among us as Christians these days. It is. BibleGateway.com. That you could, you could right now, the boring parts of the sermon, you could just, hey, you know what? I'm struggling with fear. And you could just go to BibleGateway.com, search the word fear, and all the words, all the verses with the word fear in them come up. And so you need some it is written in your life. And so I could, I could do a whole sermon just on the it is written that I have in my life. But what about you? What about you? Because it's the sword of the Spirit that God has given you this weapon to fight back against the devil. All right, so now, <clears throat> now we're all dressed, right? So you've got the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. So now what? So here's a big problem. You know, a lot of Christians just spend all their time getting dressed and they never go to war, right? Here's what it reminds me of, and I can make fun of it because I used to be one of these. I don't know if you've ever been to a bodybuilding show. I would not suggest it. It's the weirdest thing you've ever been to. But <clears throat> I used to think it was a big deal. And, um, and now I emcee bodybuilding shows, which is great because I get paid to go there. And, uh, you know, come on stage, like, welcome to stage number three out of Palaka, you know, whatever. And I announce a guy. Now, here's the crazy thing about a bodybuilding show is, and I know, it's not even, it's not like a real sport. And again, I did it. And I've got trophies and all this crud. It's not a real sport. You know why? Because they don't do anything. They walk out there, like in their girlfriend's underwear, and then they go like, what are you doing? Man, I'm doing it, right? You just, what, what are you doing? I'm doing it, man. They're just flexing. You ain't going to pick nothing up? No, I used to, so I could do this. Ah, you know? And you're just not, all right, there he was, folks. Just give it, a, it really is. And you can't make fun of it because they're, they're all, you know, diesel and they'll kill you. But... <clears throat> But it's just silliness. It really is. It, it really is. It's just silliness. They're just pumped up. And I know they're strong and, and, all, and they work really hard. But in the moment, you don't do anything. And as I was reading through this, that's what I could think of. That, that like bubble Christians, you know, like just Christians that never leave the little Christian bubble. And they do every activity that you're invited to do. And, and they learn all this stuff about Jesus. And, but then... But then what do you do? You get all dressed up for war, and you never leave the camp. And it's like everybody's just walking around, but like, yep, look at there. I memorized Ten Commandments, and I joined a group. And you're just kind of, yeah, but what are you doing? And so he gives marching orders. And here are the marching orders. Ready? Praying. Praying is what you do once you get dressed for battle. Praying at all times. In the spirit, with all prayers and supplication, to that end, keep alert, with all perseverance and making supplication for all the saints. In other words, prayer is not doing nothing. I know that's bad English, but it's good theology. Prayer is not doing nothing. The, the prayer is actually doing something. So don't ever do the like, well, I guess all we can do is pray. No, 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 no. Maybe the first thing that we could do after we're dressed and ready for war is that we pray. Is that, we, is that we go to God. And if some of you are like, hey, I'm a really crappy prayer, you're really not. That the Spirit in you helps you pray. All right? The Spirit in you helps you pray. And one of the things that you should do is you should, supplication just means to pray for each other. And so, and when it says make supplication for all the saints, that doesn't mean pray for the dead people that have their own necklaces at the Catholic stores. That's not what it means. It means <clears throat> the, the saints are the other believers in Christ who are left and right. It's why our staff every week Praise over every prayer card. And so, you know, it's a real shame that, that when a football team is down, you know, and, and they don't have enough time on the clock to actually run a real play, they'll run a Hail Mary. That's not a prayer. That is not how prayer works. The prayer should actually be like the first thing that we do after we get dressed and ready for war. That's the first thing that we go into battle with. It's not just like a last-ditch effort. Well, God, I've tried everything I know how to do. I guess maybe I'll give you a chance. You know, because there's a lot of us, quite honestly, and <clears throat> we were intentionally avoiding being dressed in the armor of God. And it's what got us in the ditch. And now that we're in the ditch, we're saying, God, would you mind showing up? I mean, honestly, some of us, um, we plan for like a whole week to do things that were the opposite of what we knew God had called us to do. We'd made reservations. 
We had friends in the car with us. We were going to another town that we didn't live so that we could avoid God. I mean, honestly. And it's not like you were driving there and you were turning on worship music. I just need his presence right now. No, you were trying to get the, the presence of God thoughts out of your mind when you were going to her house or you were going where, whatever that thing is. And then when you find yourself just battered, beaten, and bruised, then you throw up the Hail Mary prayer. Hey, God, I need a little help. Now, the crazy thing about his grace is he'll still hear you. He'll still hear you. But what Paul says is if you're in in Christ, if you're in Christ, then before the battle ever begins, then you get dressed, you get ready, you put on the full armor of God because he's given you everything you need to accomplish everything he's called you to do. And then as soon as you get ready to go, the first thing that you do is you start praying. That you start praying. And then he says this in verse 19. He says, and pray also for me. It just says, and also for me, but it, it means pray. And pray also for me. To which I would just tell you this real quick. I would, I would like for you to pray for me. Not right in a second, get weird. But just in, in going on week to week, I need you to pray for me. And, and it... It occurred to me this past Tuesday that um, it takes a lot of humility for me to receive prayer. That, again, Tuesday I had a cold, didn't feel great, so I wasn't, you know, in the office during the day, and I showed up for elder-led prayer, and Pastor Ryan Stone came into my office, and he said he wanted to pray for me, and like, lay hands on me and pray for me. And I don't like when people do that. I just don't. I like to be the prayer, but I don't want to be the person prayed for. And I had to preach the gospel to myself real quick just to receive Pastor Ryan's prayer. And so I think Paul was humble enough to say to this church that he planted, hey, when you guys are praying for the saints, you mind throwing one in there for me? And so I would like for our church to be praying for me exactly what Paul was requesting that would be prayed for him. And this is it. Here's what I want you guys to pray for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And I know some of you probably think, well, that's what you do every week. And here's the crazy thing. The bigger this church gets, the larger my influence gets, it actually gets more and more difficult to be bold in the gospel. You know why? Because more people kind of want to put their hooks in you. And more people want to say, hey, you know what? Um, yeah, the church isn't doing this thing in our city that it needs to do. So can we start doing that? And, you know, it's just a lot of that kind of stuff. Well-intentioned people, that's fine. But I just want to make sure that I am, like Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? And that this would not be about entertaining and inspiring and offending, which I love to do all three, but this would just be about the gospel. It would just be about the gospel. Or you could pray uh, Galatians 6.14. A few years ago, I had the incredible privilege of having dinner with Billy Graham, all right? It was just me and Gretchen. There's about six people there with Dr. Billy Graham, the Billy Graham, in a dude's house. It wasn't even like, you know, sometimes people say, you can come to this dinner with somebody famous, and there's this many people here, and you're watching them eat up at this table. It wasn't that. It was Dr. Billy Graham was sitting right here, and I was sitting right there, and Gretchen was sitting on that side. And so <clears throat> I asked Dr. Graham, I said, um, and he, it was so crazy. He'd be like, call me Billy. I'd be like, uh, I can't. Okay, Dr. Graham, if you were to preach another revival, what would you preach about? And he said, oh, son, that's easy. Galatians six fourteen. And I just went, mmm. I didn't know what Galatians six fourteen was. But I didn't want to admit it because he called me pastor the whole time. You know, he's so awesome. I couldn't believe how awesome he was. And so, and he can't, he can't see that good. So I got out my phone and I had to look up my Bible on my phone and find Galatians 6.14. And here's what Billy Graham, if you don't know Billy Graham, um, Google him. He's led more people to Jesus than anybody in human history, in the whole world, okay? Him. He's the one guy, and I had dinner with him. And here's what he wants to preach, if he were to preach one more. But far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and not to the world. So if you want to pray something for me, pray that. Pray that I would preach the gospel boldly and that far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of which I have been crucified to this world and this world to me. And so he says, and pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth 
boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Verse 21. So that you also <coughs> may know how I am and what I'm doing. Uh, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. So they didn't have Facebook, so Ty had to go and like, catch everybody up. And then here's how he closes. This is unbelievable. He says, peace be to the brothers with love and faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So he, he sums up the first three chapters and our key words there. He says, he says, peace, all right, you remember the second half of chapter two? And love, remember chapter one? With faith, remember the first part of chapter two? From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and grace, remember by grace we have been saved? With love, incorruptible. Here's the point. That the only incorruptible thing in this corrupt world is the love of Jesus Christ. That the only incorruptible thing in this corrupt world is the love of Jesus Christ. And so I would ask you this, because you and I, we live in a corrupt world, and it seems to me it's getting more and more corrupt by the day. And that God, when he created Adam, man, he gave him three things. He gave him a, a, a will to obey and a work to enjoy and a woman to love. And then if you look at our world, and if you look at Ephesians, the things that, that God talks about that will war against you, it are, it's those three things. That the will, you do not have a, a natural will to obey. That relationships, marital relationships, family relationships seem to be jacked up. And instead of work to enjoy, man, work can be really, really laborsome. And so what do we do about these things? Except the good news is this, is that whether you've corrupted your world or you've been corrupted by the world, that we are all offered the same thing. And we are offered the way this book ends. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus. So my question would be, do you love our Lord Jesus? I mean, do you know him? Do you know the incorruptible love of Jesus Christ? Not do you just know about him, not have you just attended church, but do you know him? <clears throat> do you love him? Have you surrendered your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Because if you do, and here's what's crazy, this invitation is to anybody. This invitation is to whosoever would, would love God back because he first loved you. That if you do, that you don't worry about just changing your activity. Because if you love Jesus, if you say for the first time, I don't even really know how to love him back. But for the very first time, I'm going to take that first step. And I'm going to surrender my life to the Lordship of Christ. Then in that moment, what happens is your identity changes. That your identity changes. And when your identity changes, then over time, not overnight, but over time. When your identity changes, then over time, everything else about you changes because who you are has changed because the old is gone and the new has come because you were dead in your transgressions but now you have been made alive in Christ not because you're awesome but because he is because his grace has been made available to you and it's by grace that we've been saved through faith not by trying to work on being a better version of you because we would brag about that but it's about his grace poured out on the cross. So I want to give you an opportunity for the very first time to take that first step of loving Jesus and to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. I'd ask you to bow your head, close your eyes, not because, um, not because that's a more spiritual stance, but just to block out the people sitting next to you. This is about you and Jesus right now. <clears throat> if you know that God through the Holy Spirit is just speaking to your heart, and you know that tonight's message of the gospel is just for you and Jesus. And for the very first time, you are ready to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. Would you just raise your hand where you are and say, I'm ready to put on the, fasten the belt of truth that you would know that Jesus is the truth, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And those of you with your hand raised, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not because you raised your hand, but it's because Christ died on a cross for you and was resurrected. Your Father in heaven, God, I thank you so much that salvation is in this place. God, I thank you so much for those of us who are in Christ, that the victory is ours, that I've read to the end of the book, and the good news is we win. And so, though the, the darts of the enemy may come against us now, they are only temporary. And they are nothing compared to the surpassing love and 
knowledge of you. And that one day, one day, this war will be over. This war that we're in against spiritual forces and the enemy, that, that war will be over. And that all things will be made new. And for those of us that have put on the full armor of God, for those of us who have surrendered our life to you, we will be seated next to you in the heavenlies forever and ever and ever. Amen. And we thank you, God, that even in this moment, you're preparing a place for us and that you are celebrating over those who were once lost and they've now been found. God, we thank you when we praise you for that. We pray this in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hey, would you please stand as we close? Look, we respond to the gospel. We respond, okay? And we're, we're responding with, I, I don't know if you're supposed to have favorite worship songs, but this is my favorite right now. Um, I don't even know what it's called, but it's the one about the waters and the ocean rises and the, you know, and every time I sing it, I'm like, I, I feel like I'm drowning. This is awesome. You know, you too? All right. So if that's you, if you feel like, you know, the world around you is just like the water keeps rising, and, but you're not, hey, you got good news. You got good news. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God and stand firm in your faith because greater is he that is in you than all the things in this world that you're going to face. And in Christ and in Christ alone, you have already won the victory. And so we respond by singing this song. We respond, if you're a regular here, by bringing your tithes and offerings either to the giving boxes or you can give on your app or however you want to. And this is a big one. We respond at our church by coming down to the altar, especially when you've got some junk that you just need to lay at his feet. And, and some of you need to do it week after week after week because you, you feel like you lay it down, but then when you get to your car, somehow you pick it back up and you put it in your pocket, right? And so maybe you could come down to the altar and just lay, lay it at his feet because he cares for you. So let us respond.